economic crisis started before the political crisis and protests. And, and the economic crisis is not, is not getting any better. And I'm not sure with things remaining the way they are. I, I think we're beyond the tipping point where there's a, any quick fix the government can do. That's, that's what I call the perfect segue. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> so, so um, the issue is, is that a lot of very hard decisions need to be made, and they're actually very, very painful decisions. And mm-hmm. you might argue that some in the current government may have wanted to take these decisions, but couldn't because they're politically unpalatable. Right. Right. And yeah. and 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 so and so and and it's going to be very difficult to have, I think, from a bottom up sort of consensus along around some of these um, some of these hard decisions precisely because they're politically unpalatable. Um, right. This is a paper that I think is, is well-written, and, and, and I have a lot of um, deep respect for, for some of the people involved in this and who, who I know. I think, though, there, there are elements there that are, that are um, you know, going to be very hard to achieve. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you see that, for example, with respect to the, the, what, what they talk about in terms of in, in terms of maintaining the peg yes. of the the Lebanese pound in the short run, the, the reality is is you 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 know the pound has has is effectively being devalued and it's being devalued either in in uh, outright nominal terms people won't send you cash dollars and cash at the official rate mm-hmm. or the way even merchants are are now you know charging differently mm-hmm. or charging more in Lebanese pounds in real terms even if it is officially not happening in, in, at the official rate mm-hmm. um, the idea of capital controls is very nice um, and some countries have done this um, well in terms of crises mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When, but when they have done it well in terms of crises let's take the example of of malaysia during the asian crisis one could argue they've done it well chile deployed them in certain circumstances and and it worked well Mm -hmm. the problem is that lebanon is not about attracting um is not subject to vast portfolio outflows it is by by foreign investors it is it is largely a banking system that um has the deposits of lebanese living in lebanon and lebanese expatriates and and my concern with capital controls in a system like if they're imposed is it could do two things one it'll permanently damage 
any prospect of foreign inflows by the Lebanese diaspora again into the Lebanese banking system. Right. You might argue this has already happened, and and given the debt crisis, they won't be sending money to Lebanon. That that is conceivable, and that's one one possible thing. But then there is a, a, another issue that I'm concerned about is is when we're talking about about uh, government controls on something. I just worry that it opens the door for officials to to then um, dispense with favoritism through the system, right? And and now I want to step back and talk about Lebanon more, more generally. The, the fact that we have, there is so much corruption in, in the country that everyone complains about is, exists because there's, there's, government officials have too much power and have powers that can stop you from doing certain things, right? And this is where bribery comes in. Mm-hmm. So the way to get rid of corruption is, is actually reduce the role of the state across the board. Mm-hmm. Putting more controls and more rules, I'm not sure is going to fix the problem in the long run. It may open opportunities for, for other things, which I wouldn't be comfortable with. But I understand why these economists and, and like I said, I think they you know they hit it all of the important points. They, I, I understand why they're putting this because in theory you want you know you want a certain fairness. You want you, you don't want you, you want to capture everyone and uh, through a haircut, and you don't want to hurt the lower income and, and, and middle income people through through a devaluation of the pound. The point I'm trying to make is that it is effectively happening anyway in real terms, even if it doesn't happen officially. And so you can't defy the laws of economics forever. But let me ask you then, if, if they're making this much sincere effort and putting out a policy paper and the current mm-hmm. political class is, and you said it, uh, unpalatable. I mean, they're not, they're not capable and it doesn't seem like they have it within them to start really doing the hard work anyway. Uh, who is this policy policy paper for at the end? Do you think it's for a potential government down the road to sort of absorb these ideas, or is it simply just a almost like a wishful thinking list? Uh, I mean, I hope it would be for a government down the road and mm. a government down the road that's not in the too distant future. Um, the, the the longer we we don't have a government and a credible set of policies. Yeah. The, the, the bigger the problem becomes, um, you know, the clock is ticking. It's not like something that is, um, uh, you know, can, can we, we, we don't have months to resolve this. Right, right. right. This is, this is, the clock is ticking. And like I said, I think, I, I think we're beyond the point of no return when it comes to the lira. I don't think the lira is, is a, is a, is viable um, uh, in, in its current state. Yeah. Now, can I, I mean, this is speculation that people now, they're concerned about the actual value of the lira. And if you were to sort of just estimate at this point now, given that we've, we have suffered more because of the revolt, I mean, the economic situation did deteriorate further. What, what would your wager be on the current value of the lira? I, I think um, I, I wouldn't venture what what 
what the value is mm-hmm. um, really I think uh, whatever the value should be is is, is a function of, of the policies that are in place interesting okay and, so it is it is actually as unstable it, as Lebanon's government <laughs> it is totally as unstable as Lebanon's government yeah and you can build scenarios where it can stabilize at 2000 and right. you can build scenarios where nothing is done and and you know um, it, it it has a way to go right right um, so so I, I wouldn't want to venture it really it, it depends on the policies the reality is that the Lebanese have already voted with their wallets so you know yes. 70% of deposits are in dollars but that's an astounding figure. I mean, that is such a big amount anyway. So, and, and, and yeah. Mind you, these are 70% of the deposits of the Lebanese residents. Um, for non-residents, it's more like 90% are in dollars. Sure. So that so basically, the, I mean, so long as that scenario is intact, there's no, there's no immediate meltdown because there is such a substantial amount in dollar. That e- even if the lira were to sort of begin its its downward spiral, that the economy does come out at least intact, that the lira is not so central. Yeah, but 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 when you have capital controls, a lira, a, a dollar in in Lebanon is not worth the same as a dollar outside Lebanon. Right, right. So it becomes uh, you know also theoretical paper valuation. Um, and it will buy you less. Prices will be higher. Right. You can have a, a, a you know, a, a, a devaluation of that as, as 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 well. So the myth of you're better off with dollar in Lebanon doesn't really add up to much anyway. At, at this point, at this point, unless it's you know, yeah. At this point, you know, it's uh, I, I'm I'm afraid you know once you have. Once it's hard to access dollars abroad, of course you have you have scarcity, you have difficulty for importers to ex- to to um, to to pay for imports without without the foreign exchange, which mm-hmm. creates a, you know a scarcity of goods and higher prices mm-hmm. domestically. Mm-hmm. So so it is it is an it is an adjustment. But when I if I understood you right earlier, you said that. Capital controls would not be an appropriate measure for the Lebanese government. Um, I I said that. No, let me let me put it differently. I think I don't. I think that the effect of capital controls mm-hmm. um, will be a, a a real devaluation in the currency. Right. Right through higher prices. Yes. Um, in, in in the medium term, it will achieve the same result, mm-hmm. um, and it opens another avenue of potential favoritism and the like yeah. um, in terms of accessing dollars. So, I I would rather see you know a a market adjustment um, through through a, f- a floating exchange rate. Right. You can either manage the price of money or its quantity. Mm-hmm. You can't manage both. Right. Right. Um, and and while officially Lebanon is a is a managed float, the, the reality is that it, it was a very uh, tight peg 
Yes, yes. Which entailed both a management of the price, but also monetary policy that mm-hmm. tried mm-hmm. to be stimulative, uh, tried to that created credit in the system. When you have a hard tech, there, there really you have two options. You know, you have really one option if you want to maintain that peg over the long term. And that, that option is to give up control of your domestic quantity of money. Uh-huh. So, 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 so you give it up completely. Um, in a way, what Lebanon had before 1964, before the establishment of a central bank altogether, um, there, was a, there was an era with where effectively you had a privately owned bank that was issuing the currency against certain amount of reserves deposited by the government. Mm-hmm. And, and, and currency was printed only when reserves were there, right? This is yes. a sort of currency board-like system, which Hong Kong has now. So Hong Kong Monetary Authority basically deposits dollars and has, has reserves, and, and it's HSBC and, and Standard Charter and Bank of China that print the currency. Right. against certain reserves. So, so you have that kind of system, and this can work very well for very long periods of time. A peg mm-hmm. like Lebanon had in the last, um, you know, two decades uh, can only work if, if fiscal policy is supportive. But if you don't have a supportive fiscal policy and you have the need to create credit in the system, mm-hmm. The peg is simply unsustainable. It's the, the, the combination um, is unsustainable. What, what is remarkable is that it lasted as long as it did. Can I, can I ask you, in your opinion, do you th- was this a temporary measure two and a half decades ago when it was first implemented? Was it seen as something short term or was that meant to be a sort of a long term economic policy? I really don't know uh, what the what the thinking was. I think there was some thinking at that time that that an, an exchange rate anchor will help uh, stabilize inflationary expectations. And remember, Lebanon did have experienced hyperinflation in the eighties, and even and if I'm the early nineties. Exactly, I, I remember it, it reached three thousand lira in the early nineties. Yes, yeah. indeed, indeed. Okay, so it was mm. about. It was about anchoring inflationary expectations, but but that was you know Brazil did that in the in the nineties too. Around the same time, in in, well, in you know in the mid nineties, Brazil pegged that real to the dollar for a certain period of time and then let it go. Yeah. Um, it, these 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 policies can can work um, if if they they're for a short period of time. And, and the rest of the whole economic framework supports it. So the fiscal policy needs to support it. So in a sense, we just had a mismanaged peg. We had a mismanaged cocktail of policies. <laughs> a mismanaged cocktail, right. <laughs> so I, I, we spoke uh, several days ago about Bosnia and their, their currency, the convertible mark which, if I'm not mistaken, is still adjusted to the old Deutsche Mark rate as it stands against the euro. And that's yes. been a policy now for over two decades. And that, exactly, but that's a, that's, a, that's a currency board system. 
Um, and that and, and that's a country and, that that doesn't have technically its own currency any longer. Yeah, yeah that, that that's just a currency board system and the whole reserve. There are some countries that have done away. Yes. With their currencies altogether, Panama, for example, gave up and just uses the U.S. dollar. Within the policy document, and I mean it's available online. It'll be attached to the podcast. It's very simple. I mean, there's just several several steps in a sense for the government to do now and it seems like anyone can basically get the gist of it it's it's broken down into a very user-friendly manual it's a very user-friendly document the one part that stood out to me was that the uh, the the, the uh, signatories were staunchly against privatization and yes. i as somebody who knows bare minimum about the workings of public versus privatization and, and at least in government sense I, I my instinctual reaction is don't let the Lebanese state handle its business because it is the least capable entity in Lebanon that has really I mean has done very little for infrastructure and then I see that there's a there's a bold call for you know that this is not the right time that the environment is wrong for privatization and just from your side, do you think that that is a, is in a way almost a too severe approach, where putting a un, an unnecessary burden on a government that has been more or less incompetent in recent years? Yeah. Look, I, I think I, 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 I'm, that part on privatization also made me pause. And and there are, and I've heard calls against privatization coming from two, two schools of thought. Right. Mm-hmm, one mm-hmm. one is that. That actually, given the crisis, the prices we will get is too low. Mm-hmm. The assets will be too cheap. We're letting go of assets at a at a um, uh, um, uh, at a very low price. And at the same time, there is the, the another school of thought, thought that that basically, you know, this this concept of that there is somehow a state capture in Lebanon that there are some large business families that are so intertwined with with politics yeah. that they will end up um, owning the assets and you have a situation like the oligarchs in in Russia yeah yeah right there, there is that so so what 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 they're talking about here is 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 you know that you need some sort of regulatory uh, uh, stronger regulatory capacity before the privatization. I don't know if it's a stronger regulatory cap- capacity that you need or a deregulatory capacity. Right. But, right. But what you need is to is to reduce the government's um, uh, uh, you know reduce barrier to entries in in uh, in some sectors. Right. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. no reason why. Uh, Lebanon has two mobile operators. It could be three. It could be whatever. Um, government shouldn't be the ultimate owner with having licenses to two operators. It can be many more. Why right. maintain it duopoly? So, so in a way, it's a, it's just a it's a almost like a, a safety break that don't rush into a situation where crony capitalism could get worse. Do you think that's the motive behind sort of? I think that's a motive behind some of it. I think mm. there, though, there are there are others, and this is where I said, I, you know, where where I pause regarding the protests in general, is is you know you have peoples from both sides of the spectrum. 
Yes, um, right. And, 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 and you have people on the left who are against privatization and, and on principle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and you have people on the right who think it's a very good idea. And, and, so, and so this is, this paragraph is partly a compromise that reflects what I assume are the views of some of the some of the authors. Um, right. You know, I think I know some of them. I don't know all of them, but but I'm sure there was a compromise here. <laughs> you know, and this actually feeds well into the uh, the other areas of compromise, which I noticed are there. There's one area of social measures, and it seems like they took the safest approach here, and I I saw that. You know, there's almost a, um, and there is a necessity here that the the low the lower middle class of Lebanon is going to be paying the biggest burden after all this is over. And I wanted to just ask you, what who 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 do you think will need to who's maybe best equipped to pay the biggest price for the situation we're in today? And this, I mean, I'm including here the haircut measures that have been discussed, uh, the, you know, of course, the interest rates that will fundamentally change. But where do you think the bulk of the money should come from, at least to offer a safety net for those that are really not equipped to handle what's what's about to what's about to come? Um, I, you know, that's um, that's a very tough question to answer. Um, who is best equipped? I mean, there is a there is a um, obviously a, a a there is a view that that has gained momentum that you you somehow haircut the rich or actually specifically those who made money from the unsustainably high interest rates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? There is that that kind of view. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think. So in a way, ev- everyone is going to be sort of sharing the burden. To, to ver- I think everyone, everyone will be hmm. um, sharing the burden, if not simply through what, you know, haircuts that might happen to bonds, but also what happens to, to the value of their, uh, of, of, their, of their earnings in the country, um, the salaries, uh, yeah, and the purchasing power of that, the, the purchasing power of the salaries. You know, I I sense that within all of this, whether it's crony capitalism or safety measures or any privatization plans or lack of or for that matter, no privatization. I sense that there's always a an underlying lack of confidence problem that Lebanese are that the economy seems to be in a in a fairly better state when there's simply more confidence in the way Lebanon is governed. And there's some, there, at the moment no, no confidence, whether it's among Lebanese or international actors. And I wanted to maybe ask your views on this what, because... Oh, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. What, what would be the positive shock? Well, I mean... That would minimize 
the yes. cost on on the population and in particular the the low earners and right. and, and the middle class who, whose savings are in the banks right exactly because you hear yeah. now reports of the world bank and you, i mean france is looks like it's increasingly getting involved do you think that the shock should come from the from the outside from these well-equipped institutions that could potentially help or do you think that's a potential problem that it'll it'll ensure that uh, the corruption of the lebanese state persists i i, I think the only positive shock can come domestically mm-hmm. um, through through a government that is you know technocratic apolitical focused entirely on the economic issues mm-hmm. we the current government you know came to power um, through through elections that were let's let's not kid ourselves elections that were you know free and arguably fair in a lot of ways and and, and we elected them but I, I don't recall many discussions of, of policy priorities in that campaign right it's a, it was a campaign about personalities of individuals I actually don't know the any differences in fiscal policy priorities of one party over another in Lebanon. I, I, I don't know, maybe you... It, it's rather shocking that it's the central issue and it's the least discussed one. Indeed, indeed. So so we have the, this, this absence. We actually don't know. Um, but what we need are, are experts now because also the population didn't express a view on these priorities in an election, right? That's true, uh, yeah. Um, we, we expressed a view on personalities, but not on, on policy priorities. So we need, you need some, you know, if you do have a, a technocratic government that can then seek the assistance of, of an IMF that will help catalyze, uh, uh, you know, uh, other financing sources, then, then, then that could be exactly the positive shock that, that the country needs that would, that would you know, minimize the costs on on lower income and, and middle income families. Um, so in a way, it's it's up to Lebanese to continue pressuring uh, their leadership here to to in a, in a way be held to account and keep pushing against them so that if and when there is external support, it is through the right mechanisms that it doesn't simply get into the same quagmire that other attempts have unfortunately led to indeed I, 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 and yeah i mean absolutely lebanon is a lebanon's problem is homegrown and it needs a homegrown solution mm-hmm. um in mm-hmm. terms of in, in terms of a government i think i think the stamp of approval and the experience of organizations like the imf can be really big help mm-hmm. um and, and and will help balance uh um, a lot of things now um and and, and the worst kind of support Lebanon can get would be would be unconditional support from, say, as as has happened in the past from the Gulf countries, right? That that yeah. uh, uh, policy, you know, financing without without you know conditionality on economic policies would, would be a pretty bad outcome. Yeah. Um, because it will simply kick the can down the road. I think we have a, we have an exciting moment for the country, an important moment. Uh, unfortunately, it's it's not going to be an easy moment. But but uh, but there's a there's a 
you know, there's a glimmer of hope that things can move in, in, in actually a direction that, that, that is sustainable for, for the first time in a long time. You know, I think it is one of those rare occasions where every generation in Lebanon, and this includes, of course, the diaspora, all segments of Lebanese society uh, are all demanding change. And it's, it's, uh, it's a lining up of circumstances that have allowed people to, in a way, expect more for the first time. Because I and I, I only hope that our expectations are not higher than an international body's efforts, that we are not disappointed at the end, because uh, it is it is like you said there is uh, there is optimism and there is hope, and I, I personally hope that it's sustainable and that it translates into proper reform. And uh, I, I appreciate your views from abroad. I know you're uh, you're in London at the moment, looking at this from afar, but. I do appreciate people that are involved and passionate about this country. They care about it. They're not here right now, but they want a better Lebanon as well. So. I'm, I'm there. Uh, I'm there often. I go often. Um, and uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Right. And this 